0: You are listening to Witness Essentials, Episode 2. This episode discusses more of the preparation basics that you need to know about before you go into a hearing. We start by using both the drawing that you made during the first episode and the explanations given at the close of that episode which should have led you to be familiar with the roles of everyone in the hearing room, as well as the typical layout of such a hearing room. Now the decision makers may be called, if it's in a court, judge, magistrate or registrar. And if it's in a tribunal, registrar, member, senior member, presidential member. Now judges and magistrates in court are addressed as your honour or sir or madam. Registrars are addressed as registrar. You may appear before a registrar to argue about a subpoena to which we'll give more attention later or to be given some directions about the future preparation for a hearing. Members in tribunals are best addressed as Sir or Madam. The other staff in the hearing room, whether it's a courtroom or a tribunal hearing room, can include, as we discussed earlier, the judge's associate, sound recordists, a tip staff or court officer, a sheriff's officer or, in jury trials, a jury officer. Turning from the place where the hearing will be heard and those who work within it, to the earlier event of you having received um, or do receive a subpoena, then you want to know all about what you need to, to comply. A subpoena is simply a document stamped by the court or tribunal registry, which requires either or both of the supply of documents by you and or attendance by you at the hearing. Now, if documents are required, then the subpoena will either state that delivery is to be to the hearing place on a date before the hearing or that the documents are to be brought to the hearing. Where your compliance with the subpoena means that you have to travel then the person giving you the subpoena should also give you some conduct money, but just enough to cover your reasonable travel expenses. Having got the document, you need to know how to respond to it. Now, if there is nothing confidential in any of the requested papers, then you should deliver copies of those papers, I emphasise not the originals, to the hearing place, and you may deliver them in either hard form or by electronic filing. The one that you are to follow will depend upon the rules and procedures of the court or tribunal from which the subpoena was issued. However, there might be reasons why some information in your documents, in your control, should not be handed over. An example is because there's something in those documents which is confidential and its release may endanger someone. If so, ask the lawyer who is acting for the party that wants you to be a witness. Ask them what you should do. They may say that they'll handle the response. On the other hand, if the party that subpoenaed you has no lawyer, then you should contact the court or tribunal registry and ask for a directions hearing where someone from the court can decide what, if any, of your documents are to be disclosed and when. Turning from documents to your attendance at the hearing, almost certainly you will need to contact the person, whether they're a lawyer or a self-represented party, who arrange that subpoena so as to be clear about exactly when you're needed. Subpoenas typically give only the date on which the hearing starts. Now that's OK for a hearing that goes no longer than one day, but it's misleading and inconvenient if the hearing will go more than one day. If that's going to happen, then you want to know on what day you needed and on what time on that day. Be sure to keep a written record of any exchange of messages, whether those are spoken or written, between you and the party or the party's lawyers about the day and the time that you're actually to attend. It's important that you understand why a party issues a subpoena. The answer is that it's an important step in getting a case ready for hearing. It alerts witnesses to when and where the hearing will be. It allows discussion, as we've just discussed, about when you will give your evidence. And, importantly for the party that issued it, by issuing you a subpoena, then if you fail to appear at the hearing, then they have some grounds to persuade the judge or tribunal member to give an adjournment, that is, to stop the hearing for hours or days or even weeks, so as to ensure your appearance. If a subpoena has not been issued, then they lack the necessary grounds to get such an adjournment. Adjournment is more fully defined at the end of this episode. Turning to your evidence An important issue is whether your evidence will be spoken at the hearing or whether it will be pre prepared in the sense that it's written down, possibly to have some spoken evidence added at the hearing. Now, if your evidence is written down, then it may be known as either a statement or a proof, or it may be in a more formal form known as an affidavit or statutory declaration. Let me explain these terms. A simple witness statement or proof of your evidence follows an interview between you and somebody acting for the party that has called you, and it leads to a written-down version, these days typically a document prepared on a computer, which purports to set out what was said to you and what you said during an interview. Sometimes it only includes what you're supposed to have said. Occasionally, such a statement is signed, though that signature has no particular purpose or import. However, if your written statement instead is converted to being either a statutory declaration or an affidavit then that conversion takes the form of your swearing or affirming that it is true and signing your usual signature to that effect in front of a witness who observes you putting your signature on the page now a statutory declaration means a written statement made according to a statute, typically something like an oaths act passed by your parliament that sets out the procedural requirements. Statutory declarations are made not only for matters that go to court, or but for many other matters of business and relationships. When a statutory declaration is made where litigation is either on foot or is about to start, then it becomes an affidavit. And the heading on that document will be affidavit rather than statutory declaration. One very important aspect to note is, is that you must never sign a statutory declaration or an affidavit and then later ask somebody else to witness your signature. What is happening when you sign an affidavit or statutory declaration is that the witness is witnessing you and no one else writing your signature onto that document and also probably putting your initials on all other pages. It is a common mistake to believe that is simply the identification of your signature which is being made. That is not the case. Note too that if you are swearing your statutory declaration or affidavit, then you are claiming at the time when you sign the document to have a belief in a God. The characteristics of that God are a matter for you and you alone. Consequently, different places have different provisions as to whether any or which holy books are to be used at the time when the person swears their statutory declaration or affidavit. Please make inquiries to ensure that you comply with with whatever are the local requirements as to whether there is or need not be any religious texts if you swear to a belief in a God. Turning now to a clarification that you need to get about when you'll give evidence. I referred earlier to how if you receive a subpoena, you should contact the person who issued it to be certain about the day and the time of day. Equally, if you haven't received a subpoena, then you still need to contact the person who wants you to give evidence and be quite clear about what day and what time. After all, you need to know how long it will take you to travel to the hearing place, Or, if you're attending remotely by audio or AVL, then you need to be ready at the appointed time. Please note that giving evidence remotely has lots of advantages for you. You're staying in a familiar space, you have easy access to your notes and other materials, you don't have the interruption and inconvenience of travel and your day is so much more in your control. To the extent that uh, some people claim that your evidence is not effective if you're not in the courtroom, nobody has provided any evidence to back up that assertion. By the way, sometimes it's necessary to interpose I n t e r p o SE, to interpose a witness. What this means is is that there are circumstances in which, because of a particular um, witness's circumstances, such as travel or illness, or being a busy clinician with a number of clients, the court's persuaded that there should be a fixed time for you to give evidence. And that fixed time means that even though another witness might be giving evidence, that witness's evidence will be interrupted and you will be interposed. That is, you will take their place to give your evidence even though it's in the middle of their evidence. The last point about the typical hearing day is that you need to understand the usual timeline. Courts and tribunals we'll have a starting time that is typically between 9 and 10 a.m. Mid-morning, there will be a short morning tea break. Lunch, usually around 1 o'clock, is for an hour. And the end of the day is likely to be between 4 and 4.15. It's important that you understand these times, particularly if you have other commitments, such as picking up children from school or daycare, or medical appointments. If you have such a commitment, be sure to tell the decision maker about that as soon as you go into the witness box. This is to avoid a lot of upset to you and everybody else. Turning now to those things that you need to prepare that are quite specific to you. The first of these is is that you should know that you're not alone in being anxious about appearing in a public space to give evidence. Everybody is anxious. And your anxiety is likely to show itself by your speaking more quickly, by your pulse rate going up, by sweating, and even by nausea or diarrhoea. So, If you already know what happens to you when you get anxious, make sure that you build that knowledge into how long do you need to prepare to give evidence. A suggestion that we've found that works for many people is that if you move your toes slowly up and down while they are firmly on the floor, you will find that you can slow your voice speed down And your upper body becomes a lot more solid in appearance. That is, you look a lot more confident, even though inside you still feel very anxious. It will help you to know that all the lawyers in the hearing room in which you're about to give evidence are also feeling anxious about their performances, And that in their own particular ways, they'll be experiencing the same sort of signs of anxiety that you have. By the way, to help you survive the day, I strongly recommend that you take with you to the hearing some entertainment or other work to do, some nibbles to eat, and also, if there's any medication that you're regularly taking that you have it with you, so that you can take it as prescribed. Talking about the things that you take with you, it's important that you know that there's security, rather like airports in courts and tribunals these days, so that when you leave home, you leave behind you any sharp objects, such as scissors, knives or pliers, and you also will leave behind any containers that have liquids in them. On the other hand, you do take with you any notes, any authorisation cards that you use in your work, and of course, the four copies of any visuals that are going to be used to enhance your evidence. Apart from that, make sure that you have with you the contact details for those who are running your side of the case, That's because you might become ill or be delayed or even get to the hearing place and not be able to find the right room. So they're being able to contact you and you being able to contact them is important. Dealing also with what you wear to a court, just make sure that the clothes you wear are things that you're comfortable wearing. They should, of course, not have any obvious logos or messages on them. Finally, when you do get to the hearing place, there'll be a waiting area where you'll need to wait. Try to spend as little time as possible there. That's another reason for contacting the lawyers, so that you can leave that building and go to somewhere that's more comfortable, makes you feel less stressed, and come back just before you need it. Turning then to the few words that have been used today and for which you need a little bit more help. The first is an adjournment. An adjournment is when the court decides that for a period that might be a few minutes or hours or overnight or even days or weeks, the hearing will not continue. The court will say, we're going to adjourn. You then wait for the hearing officers to leave, and then you too can leave the hearing room. Another word you'll sometimes hear used is interlocutory. Interlocutory describes something that happens between the time when a hearing is formally started, that is by the filing of papers, and when the hearing itself takes place. For example, should you need to appear in front of a registrar in order to get directions, that is, an interlocutory hearing. Talking about registrars, they are usually the people who are at the top, the managers of the court administration staff or tribunal administration staff. Those staff work in the registry, and there are registrars and deputy registrars. They have limited decision-making powers and their powers are pretty much always set out clearly in the law that established the court or the tribunal. That's all we're doing in episode two. Episode three is all about what happens when you go into the hearing room to perform as a witness. Please do join us for that episode.